My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. It's the Irishman in America Thanksgiving special. And I'm joined, as always, by Marion McKeown over beyond. Marion, happy Thanksgiving to you. What What are your plans I for this day? Thank you very much. Well, I have two Thanksgiving dinners to go to tomorrow, which is on Thanksgiving Day, I should say. And then there's... A there seems to be, uh, I suspect I'll have to take up running by Tuesday because another friend, a friend of mine here is having another Thanksgiving on Friday because a lot of people get scattered from, you know, I have a terrific gang here in LA. So we're, we're all getting scattered a little bit to go. And then on Saturday night, there's another Thanksgiving dinner and then I'm having one on Sunday. Oh, wow. You're going to be rolled out of the house at the end of this. Listen me. I'll tell you, I'll have to talk to you and Sonia. And how you love Sonia. <laughs> well, we had a great episode this week. Sonia took a well-earned break and it really does feel like it's that time in America yeah. for people to take a breather and oh, yeah. look back. Rob Heffernan jumped in, of course, on Tuesday. If you missed that episode, go back. Rob's talking all about mentality. And I don't know how you do your job, Marion, but Rob Heffernan gets up every single morning at five o'clock and is the super happy fun times guy on Red FM, uh, along with Laura and Kira there. And I couldn't I was trying to wrap my brain around how somebody does that. And Rob explains everything around mentality and how he learned to snap himself out of negative thought. If you're not even into running, you just listen to Irishman Abroad because you like Mar Marion on a Friday. You'll benefit from listening to this because this week, it is a week of reflection, is it not, in America when yeah. they look back and take a few days. There's, there isn't a huge amount of present giving. It's a lot of shopping and eating. And I would say one person who is looking back is Kevin McCarthy going, what the hell have I got myself in for? Yeah, I th I think looking back and um, not with anger, but with yearning and looking forward with huge trepidation. You know, I have to say at the outset, Jarlett, there's so much I think to be grateful for this Thanksgiving. I really do. And I feel really upbeat and sort of buoyant about the whole thing. And I know that there's been bad news in the States in the last couple of days. And God, there, there seems to have been bad news in the States nonstop for the last couple of years. But there uh, there is a feeling of sort of optimism that I'm getting, or maybe I'm just feeling it myself and assuming mm. that everybody else is. But I, when I speak to all of my friends here and, and people I've known for decades and decades and, and people I'm very, very close to, they, I think there's a collective feeling amongst most Americans. And I include that some Republicans I've spoken to that America has taken a step back from the brink that as we said here before, it looked into the abyss and it went right up to the edge and then it went, whoa, 
hang on, hang on here. And I sort of feel that the country is now the better for it. And they're kind of feeling, yeah, you know, we're not that bad. We're not as crazy as we thought we were. And that it seems to have buoyed the mood. And even Joe Biden's mood seems to be buoyed. Well, he was 80 last week. So big one. That's a big one. (laughs) That was a big one. And his granddaughter was married in the White House. And, you know, Americans love a bit of soap opera. They love a big wedding in the White House. Even Richard Nixon's ratings went up and his daughter got married there. I mean, they, they do love to see the people's house and to feel that it's a living, breathing house. And then more good news, the airports apparently were not nearly as crazy as was feared. There were a couple of glitches in some of the airports. I think Dallas and Chicago had a couple of delays. But in most airports, including LA, which is usually a disaster, even on a Monday in February, LA is a disaster, LAX. But apparently people were getting out quickly. Their lines weren't that bad. And for people who are driving, petrol prices dropped just in time before they filled up their tanks. Not hugely, but enough to make a difference. And so I think that there was a feeling that at least this year for Thanksgiving, maybe politics could be parked. You know, that there, it's mm. like, okay, there were like... The Republicans certainly didn't win in the midterms, but they weren't ranked either. And the Democrats had a lot to celebrate about the midterms in that they kept the Senate and they lost the House by such a slender margin that it doesn't seem to a lot of people that the aforementioned Kevin McCarthy, if he becomes Speaker, and it's by no means guaranteed that he will, that God help him, you wouldn't wish that. I wouldn't want to be Kevin McCarthy. I, you know what I'm grateful for, Gerald? I'm grateful I'm not Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, I was wondering if he'd cancelled the family visit and decided to stay in the PJs for the entire of Thanksgiving yet. But I just feel like it, it plays out so slowly in terms of something like this. We don't really know yet if he will be Speaker, but what? where would you put your money if you were a gambling woman? You know, I think I would put it on McCarthy, but I think that he desperately wants this job. Crikey knows why, because he came into Congress in 2010 with Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan. Now, they had the hubris that surrounded these three guys. They thought they were all young, good looking and super fit. And they wrote a book called The Young Turks between them. And they went around doing this book tour and they actually acted like they were rock stars, which if you're in the Republican Party, it's just not going to happen. Sorry. Sorry, there hasn't, except for Kid Rock. He's the only Republican. He's the only Republican. But they were so full of ego and hubris. And Eric Cantor got thrown out. He lost a primary in 2014, four years later. He was the leader at the time. Paul Ryan retired in 2018. He just quit rather than put up with another two years of Trump. And McCarthy, despite this, and despite, you know, I was looking through earlier today, Charlotte, because I am a sad nerd, the fates of various Republican House leaders, none of them are good. Dennis Hastert, of course, went to prison for for being a sexual abuser. And not long after he departed his role as House leader, Tom DeLay got a three-year prison sentence. The other Republican guy back in around in the 210, I think, or thereabouts. Now, it was overturned eventually, but there was a, he was hugely humiliated. His political career was ruined. Paul Ryan is, as we said, he was the great big hope, a vice presidential nominee for Mitt Romney back in 2012. He was seen to be the future of the Republican Party, this young, good looking guy. And I've met Paul Ryan. He's not an unpleasant guy. Invert, but maybe. <laughs> like his spine could use a little stiffening. <laughs> he's, he's not. 
an obnoxious guy in the way. He's not filled with that kind of rage that Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Louis Gomer, and even McCarthy, who people used to think was another nice but spineless guy. I mean, his behavior, and you know, one example last week, Nancy Pelosi. Now, whether you like Nancy Pelosi or loathe her, and Congress is, I'd say, roughly divided between those two, because nobody is ambivalent about Pelosi. They either really respect her, really like her, or they absolutely hate her. Now, there, that said, there are Republicans who've been around for a while, even Mitch McConnell and those guys who may abhor everything that she stands for, but they respect that she knows how to win because these guys, it's all about winning and they respect that she's a master tactician and McConnell pretty well said as much and they respect that she did make history, not just as the first woman speaker in American history, but also that she was so damn good at, you know, she saw four presidents. She was speaker during the Bush era, during the Obama era, during the Trump era, and now during the Biden era. She delivered for Obama. He would never have got Obamacare through without her. Biden would, I mean, Biden's had so many legislative victories in two years that we sort of forget one trips up over the other. She got them all through for him. She is a phenomenon. And I remember talking to her spokes guy, Drew Hamill, a really lovely, you know, a, a youngish guy, the busiest guy in Washington. And he and other people said to me, the secret is that she actually doesn't bully the caucus. Everybody talks about how she controls the House Democrats, how she really has a rod of iron and you know that she beats them with. But in fact, apparently what I've been told by, but not just by Drew Hamill, who he would say that, but by other Democrats who've had their run-ins with her, that she understands everything about their constituency. She understands the pressures on them, why they might want to vote a particular way. She knows about their families. She knows if they are having family stresses, if they've got a sick child, if there are financial problems, if they're getting a divorce. What one of the women said to me was that she is literally like a mother to everyone in the Congress. So she doesn't bully them. She doesn't threaten them, although she's pretty damn tough. But she does. It's it's like the iron fist in the velvet glove, Mm. but the, the velvet glove is the main thing. And so I think her departure, anyway, she is Kevin McCarthy doesn't strike me as the you know the s- seamless substitute well, for that method. Do you know what, Jared? The lack of graciousness. Now, the first thing Kevin McCarthy did. Now he's done so many things. Like he's made horrible jokes about Pelosi, and you know the, how he'd like to hit her over the head with a gavel when he gets it, etc. She gave her departure speech last week. It was only fifteen minutes, and she got a standing ovation as she deserved. Kevin McCarthy didn't even turn up for it. Now, he is her counterpart in the House. He's taking over as Speaker. And she's been in, again, she hasn't just been Speaker and Democratic leader. She's been a Congresswoman for 38 years or thereabouts. Yeah, she deserves better than that. Yeah, She deserved the respect of him. He didn't even have to applaud. He could have just turned up and showed a little bit of respect. And then afterwards he said, you know, oh, she just, I was on a phone or thing with him and he said, he claimed that she, he told a bunch of reporters that, oh, the reason she quit was she couldn't bear to hand me the gavel. I just thought, oh, it's so ungracious. So, the disease of me, absolutely. Yeah, but also uh, trying to placate his Republicans on the far right, trying to keep the Marjorie Taylor Greens happy and all those, because God forbid that you would be gracious or that you would, you know. Like it has to be all out 
bare-knuckle war in Congress as far as these Republicans are concerned. And mm. not all of them, but certainly most of them at the moment. And, the, you know, the right-wing, the far-right, the Matt Gaetzes, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Jim Jordans, they will be running the House. Kevin McCarthy will be shunted to the side if he is made leader. You've already got about, he needs 218 votes to become leader. Now that, so what happens, the way this weird process takes place, and I'll be very brief, is there was a vote already. He got 181 votes. Another guy, Andy Gibbs, who was the protest vote, he picked up the remainder, about 30, 31 odd votes. Now that, so basically it has to go to the floor of the House on January 3rd, which is the first day of the 118th Congress. And in that floor vote, now anyone can vote, Democrats can vote, you know, anyone can vote who's a member of Congress. He has to get 218 votes because that's what he needs to assume the speakership. Now, he's short of that at the moment. He doesn't have it. And at least six or seven, four right, the the Freedom Caucus people have said, no, I'm not voting for McCarthy. I don't care. I don't give a damn. I'm not voting for him. And they're being told, well, what's going to happen then? Who's going to be, you know, and their base at the moment saying tough. They will vote for McCarthy, but they'll only do it after they have taken their pound of flesh and promises and commitments and deals. And so at the moment, basically, everyone, every Republican in Congress at the moment is like a senator. They're all like Joe Manchin's. It's from McCarthy. It's like having 218 Joe Manchin. I mean, God, you love them almost. Uh, Because they all want this and they all want that. And they're also trying to do this thing. Now, back in 2014, again, not being wonky, 2015, John Boehner was the Republican leader. He had a hellish time as a Republican leader because he was a pretty decent, pragmatic, moderate sort of guy. And they, they, at that stage, you had the Tea Party and Jim Jordan had just founded the Freedom Caucus and Mark Meadows. And you had all these crazy people frothing at the mouth over Obama. And Obama and Boehner actually got on, got on quite well together. They, they, they were two guys who... You know, could have a laugh together or whatever. But John Bonier's hands were absolutely tied by these people. Anyway, they decided they were going to have a vote of no confidence in him and that they were going to kick him out. So he resigned ahead of that. After he quit, they kind of, the Republicans went, mm, maybe that wasn't very fair. Let's get rid of this vote. Let's get rid of this system where we can just have a vote of no confidence and get rid of our own leader. And so they did. But now one of the conditions of voting for McCarthy is they want to bring it back, which means the second McCarthy does something they don't like, the second he, I don't know, God forbid, shakes hands with a Democrat or anything that they regard as not maintaining the all-out warfare that they want, and then they can vote to get rid of him. So it's a mess of chaos. Uh, yeah. yeah, so like you say, the definition of a poison chalice, right? Oh my God. Yeah. He's in for a very tough few years ahead. Yeah. I feel like we nearly need a new section in the show where we fact check some of the nonsense that gets said each week. We'll need a jingle. We'll, we know who it'll start with. But Donald Trump said some stuff this week. He obviously said some stuff last week in his announcement that he was running. Uh, that's been fact-checked over and over again for the amount of nonsense that just came oh, out. But the, the hit of the week has to be, I wasn't the only president who took illegal documents from the White House. It wasn't just me. All the other lads were doing it. How, you, how come you're not investigating them? That's clearly bullshit. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. He claimed there was one particularly bizarre claim about George H.W. Bush that the most correct and proper and by the book of presidents, that 
he took a load of documents, classified documents, and they ended up in a Chinese restaurant. I mean, this yes. is the level of craziness that he's coming out with. And that he said Obama stole documents. There has never been, there's never been a suggestion that Obama did anything that wasn't absolutely down the line. Republicans would love to get evidence that he stole documents. My God. But isn't he, but he isn't he do what he's doing there, right? Isn't it like the implication is I know about this stuff. We'll yeah. never get the facts verified, but you guys can trust me. I'm aware oh, yeah. of this. And, you know, they'll say that was never proven, but I know it happened. Yeah. Right, that's how he gets away with it. And the thing is, Jarlett, he doesn't have to back it up with facts. I mean, the, it, Donald Trump supporters will believe whatever he tells them. And even if they know on some level this is not true, they don't care because it's part of the relationship they have with him, this sort of cult of personality relationship that if he says it, that makes it true. Hmm. That's good enough for but them. It, it, it has to be, it does, and maybe this is one of the reasons for the optimism this Thanksgiving, is because it does, there is a sense, even from over here, that that is dwindling somewhat and that the... Yeah. You know, the sexiness. I remember, if you can include that word with Donald Trump, it's very difficult to do. <laughs> but I remember Chris Rock saying that Donald Trump was hot in 2016. He was hot. He was the hot, he hot? Was the hot act. As he in, was the hot okay. act. Okay. He was the hot ticket, right. you know, uh, whereas Hillary was, it's my turn guy. Yeah. And that's not how entertainment works. It's just yeah. not how it works. He just doesn't feel hot anymore. He's not the cool thing to be connected to. And the more investigations that mount and the more pithy this these replies become, it's just not grabbing headlines the way he used to. So Jack Smith is appointed the special counsel this week for the criminal inf investigation into these documents that are found at Mar-a-Lago. And he's obviously upset about that. What can you tell us with the, at the without us retreading old ground? What what was the response here to Jack Smith? Well, it's just been spluttering and that it's unfair and that he won't cooperate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, the thing is, you're absolutely right. To me, at this stage, Donald Trump is like a not particularly funny old school stand-up comedian who used to tell mother-in-law jokes after yes. dinners, you know. The cabaret act. The yeah. cabaret. And you've heard his shtick before. You might have laughed the first time. You might even have laughed the 31st time. But jeepers, it's just not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what he's going to say before he opens his mouth. His speech announcing his run, I mean, that was just like a to me, I remember being at the, his inauguration with the American Carnage speech back in 2017, and it was it was the gloomiest, most depressing day weather-wise. It was the gloomiest day everywhere. And then he was coming out with all this stuff, and I was thinking, is he really saying this? Am I hearing this? But his announcement that he was running again was the Carnage speech, version two, even worse, and even, even more sort of grim, and only I can save America, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I, I think people have just tired of it. I think, but the thing is, a lot of, I think a lot of Republicans, but they haven't got the back to, to or the spines to, to separate from Trump. I think they would love to see him disappear. I think they'd love him to go to Rikers for five years. I think there's probably nothing so many of them would like better, but they know that Trump's base belongs to Trump. It's not transferable. Unless Trump mm. transfers it, that is a non-transferable base. And that is the base 
that makes a difference if you don't get those angry white men in their 30s and 40s and 50s out to vote and angry white women, then you're not, that's your last chance of winning. Look at it. There is big crossover between entertainment and politics with him. It is like season two of Tiger King, you know, everyone watched season one, but only the diehards are sticking around for season two uh, or even interested in the making of season two. This Supreme Court ruling this week that will allow the Congressional Committee to receive copies of Donald Trump's tax returns ends a three year battle to get hold of this stuff. Now, he always claimed Oh, I'll show you my tax returns. I'm just in the middle of an audit, guys. Yeah. There's got an audit going on. Jesus, don't be asking me for my tax returns. Look, there's nobody wants to give you my tax returns more than me. As soon as my routine audit's finished, I'll release my returns. I'll be very proud to. After the audit is complete, it's a routine audit. If I were finished with the audit, I would have an open mind to it. I would say that. If I'm not under audit, I would do it. I had no problem with it. I'm going to release them as soon as we can. I want to do it. And... You know, there's clearly something in here that he doesn't want everybody seeing. Is that part of diminishing whatever aura remains for the for that group of people? Well, yeah, you may remember, Jarlis, back about three or four years ago, the New York Times, through the most bizarre circumstances, got hold of a load of Trump's tax returns. And the way it happened was Alan, Alan Weissman, his chief financial officer, had a daughter-in-law who left his son. She fell out with the whole family. And when she was leaving, she took a load of stuff with her, like all these boxes of documents and tax and whatever. And she phoned up the New York Times and she said, I've got the goods. And so the New York Times did publish. And they said that for 10 years, I think it was nine, I can't remember exactly, but at least nine or 10 years, Donald Trump lost money every year. Like for nine, eight or nine years in a row, he paid no taxes. And in 2017, the year he became president, he only paid $750 in taxes. I do now, remember this. It's all coming back. That yeah. He said, he claimed that the reason he didn't pay taxes was because he had lost so much money. He lost so much money. He was such a loser, you know, as a businessman yeah. that none of his businesses were making money. They were all losing money. So of course, how does this square up with Trump's thing that he wants everyone to think he's the guy with the Midas touch, that he just has to look at something and it turns to gold? So there were two contrasting narratives here. One was his tax returns, which said that he was losing money every year, hand over fist. And the other was his narrative that, oh, as you said, I'm just in the middle of an audit. I God, I'd love to share them with you. I'd love to, but I can't. So now the Congress has, the Congressional Committee that's demanding the taxes say that they are entitled to them because they need to see how a president, you know, how the revenue handled a president's taxes. It's a bit of a stretch, I think, personally. But look, they are entitled to them because that is in their remit. And so Donald Trump has fought tooth and nail and gone to the Supreme Court and back again and back again and back there again. And the Supreme Court said, because it's written in the rules, it's written in the law that this is the, that the, the, this particular House committee has the right to look at Donald Trump's taxes. So they can ask for anyone's taxes to it. And that should be done. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and pretty well, the Supreme Court today just went, or yes, sorry, just this week went, look, would you ever just get lost? Basically, you know, this is, this is over. We've told you a hundred times now. And so. Now the Congress will get these tax returns. 
But I suspect that let's, because, you know, Congress, all the committees change now. So from the, from uh, January the 3rd, there will be Republicans in charge of all of the committees, which means that if Trump can stall the ball for another six weeks, and you can be damn sure they'll do everything they can, that even if they are handed over then, that it'll be too late because th- those the committees will be then run by Republicans and they're not going to start waving Trump's tax returns around in public or making them public. So he, can he still get away with it? I don't know. He might just say, oh, whoops, they're all lost. Oh, they're in a box in Mar-a-Lago. Oh, whoops, the FBI must have taken them when they took all my stuff. You know, I mean, it's... How demoralizing if you're an American taxpayer and watching so much money being spent on committees like this yeah. and then this change of power takes place and it's all for naught. Like that just seems like such a waste of time and money. And if you were ever to become disillusioned with what's taking place in Washington, that would surely be it. Yeah. Now, I, I'm literally just speculating there. Like they may, they may get them quicker. They may, you know what I mean? They, they, they may well, they might, might even get them next week. I think what's more serious for Trump now is, as we mentioned earlier, Jack Smith, people in the Department of Justice, like they all liked Robert Mueller. They all said he was a gentleman, like, you know, a demanding leader, but a, a by the book guy. Jack Smith is a tough guy. Jack Smith is currently, he's a prosecutor in the International Criminal Court, but he's coming back now to do this. Before he went to the International Criminal Court, he was head of the Public Integrity Project. He, this is a guy who's tough, and this is a guy who apparently is a very brilliant prosecutor, and he wants to just get this done quickly. He's handling the two different investigations. He's handling the Mar-a-Lago, the, the, the theft, because it was a theft, let's call it what it was. Donald Trump took classified documents from the White House with no intention of returning them, which is the definition of theft. When he was asked to give them back, when he was asked about them, he lied, he misled, he got his lawyers to lie, they swore a statement saying they'd given back everything. You know, he clearly fully intended to keep these documents, which was against the law. So I think that case is open and shut. I think Mm -hmm. that he will be indicted on this and I think he will be found guilty because it's obvious. It's obvious. Well, thank, thank God. Like, I mean, yeah. really, yeah. Uh, his defense was the Homer Simpson defense. Yeah. Marge, they expect you to take some souvenirs from the hotel. These are all souvenirs. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but like, it's also, laughable. Yeah. But also, well, Barack Obama did it too, you know, and, and yeah. you know, the Clintons did it. And why can't I do it? And you're all just persecuting me. That's basically been his defense. Uh, yeah, well, but, if it is an open and shut case, what what's going to be the punishment? Like, what what would you I'll, see as potential punishment for this? There, you can be sentenced to a prison sentence and very hefty fines. I don't know that he'll get a prison sentence. I think that there is something that Americans may just like balk at to to see a former president going to Rikers. I think that it's it's sort of almost beyond the pale for them. But I think also, well, he wouldn't be going to Rikers, he'd be going to a federal prison. But, yeah. but the other case, which is his involvement in the January 6th, and was at the moment we have the Oath Keepers, um, Stuart Rhodes and his cohorts who are being charged with tre- sedition. Now, is, there, is that case there to be made against Donald Trump? I'm not sure that um, it is made because I'm not sure that notwithstanding the terrific job that the January 6th committee did, notwithstanding that Trump knew people were armed in the crowd and that he sicked them on Capitol Hill regardless, notwithstanding the wheeling and dealing he was doing beforehand for weeks and weeks from November 3rd 
to try and get false electors sent to try and get. There is a lot of evidence of all this going on, but whether or not they will be able to bring a case that where where you know they really can sort of believe that they can secure conviction on this. I think that's a murkier case. I think the Mar-a-Lago one, as I say, is open and shut. But as I say, this guy Smith is apparently, like if, if the case is there, I've been told by, by several different people, he'll make it. That, you know, okay. but mind you, they said that about Mueller. But the difference, of course, this time is that Bill Barr is not the attorney general. That yes. Bill Barr isn't going to get this report and basically totally misrepresent it and, and say things that were, that just say there's nothing here when there were t- 10 counts of obstruction of justice, possible obstruction of justice cited by Mueller. So I, I think that it, it is a different environment now. And as I said, Trump's base is never going to leave him. And as I said, unless he says to them, I want you all to vote for Ron DeSantis, which frankly doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Unless he says, this is my guy, go with him. That, that vote is not transferable. But I think it is getting smaller. Not, not enough that basically the party can't win without that vote. And this is the total conundrum that the Republicans are in, is they can't with, win with Trump, but they can't win without him either. But you they, know, they didn't win the popular vote with him the last time either. Like well, he's, two, he's 0 for 2 uh, on the popular like, vote. He lost the popular vote. He, lost, he was trounced in the 2018 midterms. And he lost the House. He lost the White House and he lost the Senate in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's record is dismal. I, like it is like it's like I just kind of feel that it's just like so much of his stuff. The facade is so obviously paper that there is nothing solid behind this. Is it possible, Marion, that all of this talk that we do on this show over and over again, that there's this big Trump base that a bit like his millions that it's just not, it's not actually there when you actually scratch the surface at this point. It's not there in the way it was. And it's if the Republican Party had the stones or the gall, the guts to go, uh, yeah, we don't, we just don't buy it anymore. We just don't think it's there, that it might just fizzle. No, I, you know, Gerald, I'm saying that just on the basis of how much time I've spent talking to Trump supporters, how much time I've spent talking to the MAGA bros over the last seven years. Most of the people who've been to Trump rallies, and there are tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands, told me they'd never voted before Trump. They'd never been registered to vote before Trump. They could give a two dams about politics before Trump came on the scene. Trump is a cult of personality. To me, Trump has nothing... Trump has much more to do with like being a, you know, a Jimmy Swaggart or being a Jimmy, that guy, James Baker, one of those evangelical con men who, you know, gets a following of millions and millions. And then eventually there's a massive scandal and everybody goes, whoops, oh dear. And then a couple of years go by and another one props up. He's like one of those big tent evangelical preachers who just peddles lies. And, but the masses don't care because there is this cult of personality around them. And, yeah, and, and you know, yeah, that, you see, that's I'm not calling into question that you haven't met these people. I'm not saying that you haven't come into contact and seen tens of thousands of them. But in the same way as he thought he won the election on the basis of, look at all the people that were at my rallies, yeah. that is it possible that you too 
have fallen into that, that on some level, you're seeing that many people and that much energy behind this one man that it's that it's just yeah you've been taken down that path with with him yeah well okay just the first thing i'd say there jarlis is i don't believe trump ever for a second believed he won i think he knew damn well he was beaten. I think he knew for months beforehand he was going to be beaten, which is why he kept saying, if I'm beaten, it's rigged. If I'm beaten, it's rigged. He was setting up, he was setting up the, the pitch for, for that eventuality, for him being beaten. I think he knew he was defeated. Seven million votes. He knew he'd been trounced by Biden, but he wasn't going to give it up because A, his ego wouldn't let him, and B, he saw there was money to be made. And we right. saw he made a quarter of a billion dollars in, in the space of two months out of lying to people and telling them the election was stolen. We, you know, I mean, January 6th, the one thing that committee did was it comprehensively debunked this myth that poor Trump, he's a bit nuts. He really does believe he won. He didn't. It was perfectly clear that w- what he was talking about doing was finding a way and finding multiple ways to make it look as if he won. And then when mm. that didn't work, it was just like, well, we're going to overthrow these results anyway. Screw them. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and so, but, but I think even recently there, were, there was a big rally up in Ohio and a couple of other places. The Trump people, it's, it's a bit like the circus for them because they're not interested in politics, but they hate the same people that Trump hates. So he goes up there and he slags off the woke and he slags off the migrants and he slags off, you know, Mexicans and all he does that shtick. It's sort of like it's like hate. If you substituted sort of just a role of hatred for a bad comedian, and then he throws in a few laughs for them as well by mocking people and new nicknames for people. And the reason that they vote for him is because they're not interested in politics. They want to be entertained. They want somebody who hates the same people they hate, and that's Trump. Right. Well, we, we've a lot to get to in the second half of this conversation, Marion, okay. uh, including yep. these really strange and gruesome murders oh, at the University yeah. of Idaho. There's there's an awful lot of bloodshed in America this week, and yeah. 2022 has seen an uptick in mass shootings across the nation. Is there any new dialogue taking place on this? Is What needs to happen for a change to take place? And maybe Thanksgiving is the time when reflection will take place. Or, as in so many of our discussions on this subject, is it just pointless? Well, the only way to hear the rest of this conversation is to come over and support our show over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Members, supporters of our show get so, so much. Come on over and have a look and see the hundreds and hundreds of episodes that are available and decide for yourself. There are five a month. You'll have stuff in your ears for your long walks, your long runs, whatever journeys you're on this holiday season. Maybe Marion and I can keep you company over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.